what we need to do is we need to study Psalms 32, and it, it talks about basically confession. That, and confession is kind of the thing that uh, unlocks the, the door to your soul that allows the Lord then to heal unresolved guilt, even okay. guilt from a long time ago. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural background in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. Remember, what you believe is one of the most important things about you, therefore you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We're here for you and we hope this podcast helps you grow in your faith. My name is Justin Mayer, I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey everyone, it's so good to be with you. Really excited about the fact that the Salty Pastor is now on its own channel. It's a, uh, on YouTube. It's also got its own website that uh, I believe, uh, is it up and running yet or have we launched it it's yet? almost. We're finishing okay. the database. So that's one of the cool features about the new podcast or the new website is it's going to have all of the uh, search functionality of the podcast where you can look up things based on topics. So oh, wow. if you're wanting to hear things on guilt or on postmodernism, which that would basically be every episode. But, like, <laughs> but I mean, if you want to, you can also down, look it up by text because yeah, we do up, a lot of Bible yeah, study. We're of working text. through texts and things like that. So Sweet. it's going to add a lot of value to your studying and identifying which episodes you need to listen to. If you're in the midst of your own personal study and going, Oh man, I wish I could remember what pastor Doug said about blank. Yeah. And then you can mm -hmm. go up and look up those episodes. Oh, so wow. That's going to be great. Gonna be really so cool that's going to be released here pretty soon. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about everything that's happening. Don't forget to, uh, if you're on YouTube is to subscribe and like, because yes. we're building the channel out now and yep. that it, until we get to a thousand, I believe is what the benchmark is. And so we're on our way to that. And so we want to keep going. So tell everybody, you know, even if you listen to it on a podcast, you know, log on to uh, YouTube when you're at your computer and just go to the YouTube channel and then like and subscribe. Yeah, it doesn't cost you anything, but it does a lot for us being able to share this with other people. Yeah, so, very much so it takes you 10 seconds to do it and it will make a huge impact in somebody else's life if um, they are able to discover it through your work. Yeah, we want to be able to continue to just see the Salty Pastor grow. And I think the series right now is on guilt has been really interesting in, in how it's resonating with so many people. Yeah. I mean, people have told me they're really starting to evaluate, which is your goal, their relationship with guilt Yeah, and identifying where they do have guilt and where things are affecting them. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it's been revelatory in a lot of ways for a lot of people to go, oh, he's right. I do have these things that I need to work through or that mm -hmm. I'm dealing with. So I think that's been super powerful. And I mean, um, it really just comes down to that. It's the Lord's will that we are sanctified, right? Yes. Like that's, yeah. that's something that people are really discovering is he doesn't want you to sit there and be guilty. Like that was never the plan. The plan is right. he wants to sanctify you so you can be set free from that guilt Yeah. and, and the things that cause it and the things that cause it. So, uh, why don't we just talk about what the process of that is? What's the first step in healing? Well, I think uh, what we need to do is we need to study Psalms 32, and it, it talks about basically confession. That, and confession is kind of the thing that uh, unlocks the, the door to your soul that allows the Lord then to 
heal unresolved guilt, even okay. guilt from a long time ago. But the, the difficulty is you can't really understand Psalm 32 unless you understand why King David wrote that psalm. Okay. Okay. And he wrote that psalm uh, as a reflection on one of the biggest challenges in his life when he had really done something evil in the eyes of God, and that is the whole situation with Bathsheba. Okay. okay. And it, this, so I'm going to read some of it and have you read some of it uh, so that people can understand the background to what happened for him then to later on write Psalm 32 okay. as a reflection of what he learned in that. But we got to understand the situation first. And so it starts Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. So I'm just going to kind of read it. If you're listening, you're going to hear this story. And I want you to listen to how it is told and the way in which it is told. Verse 1, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. So the story opens up basically saying is that David had got to the point where he just well, he didn't I'm have not, to be out on the field anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. But, but it's I, interesting. I, just, I love this fact that it's just like, oh, there's a time of spring when the kings just, just go decide, through, yeah. hey, it's time to go to battle. All it's kings like, go to battle. Yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know that holiday, like King Battle Day? I'm participating this year. Are you participating this year? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting, <laughs> isn't it? But I think the point in their mindset of when they recorded this was David didn't do what kings usually do. Right. Right. Now, at evening time, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and had her brought. And when she came to him, he slept with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. But the woman conceived, and so she sent word and informed David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. So they were besieging Rabbah, where the Ammonites, okay, and they were in this siege of this city. So they're all camped out there and they're battling each day or whatever they're doing during their siege. And what happens is he says to Joab, who is the head general of all the armies. And he says to him, he says, bring me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sends Uriah to David. Verse 7, when Uriah came to him, David asked about Job's well-being and that of the people and the condition of the war. So he's just, you know, you know, small Checking talk. Yeah. yeah, like why am I? David said to Uriah, go down to your house now, wash your feet. And basically what he means is go down to your house and get cleaned up and, you know, enjoy your wife and your household and all that kind of stuff. Well, Uriah left the king's house, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house, and with all the servants of his lord, he did not go down to his own house. Now, when they informed David, he said, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, did you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? 
And Uriah says to David, well, the ark and all of Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Should I then go to my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do that. Then David said to Uriah, okay, then stay here today. And tomorrow I'll let you go back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the day after. Now David summoned Uriah to his table, basically, and he ate and drank in his presence, and he made Uriah drunk. And in the evening, Uriah went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, and he still did not go down to his house. So now David realizes, okay, my plan to cover my tracks hasn't worked, right? Right, because um, he's basically trying to, like, pass the baby off as his, like, right? Correct. The idea is he brought him back so that he would go spend time with his wife, and then they, the plausibility that it's his child is and not David's yeah. goes up but of course Uriah is what he's an upstanding, he's guy. An upstanding guy he's like you know all my fellow soldiers are out sleeping in fields and the generals and everybody are roughing it so why yeah. would I go and you know hang out in my house and spend time with my wife when all the rest of my fellow soldiers are not getting that yeah I'm not gonna do that 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 kind of betrays them a little bit yeah. So, which points back to the opening statement in Samuel 11, verse 1. When all the kings went to war, David didn't. Right. Right? So, David's at home in his house, you know what I'm saying, sleeping mm-hmm. in the bed. Da-da-da. When all of his people, all of his soldiers, the people he's supposed to be leading are out in the field. So, Uriah, in a way, is doing what, what David King David should have, should have done. Yes. Exactly. And so, in the morning, David then wrote a letter to Joab uh, to Joab, excuse me, sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter the following words, station Uriah on the front line of the fiercest battle and then pull back from him so that he can be struck and That's killed. That's dirty. He made that guy, he made Uriah deliver the letter that tells yeah. the general. His own death warrant <laughs> yeah. and took it to the general. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he stationed Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men and the men of the city went out and fought against Joab and some of the people among David's servants fell and Uriah Hittite also died. Now when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for her husband. This usually took uh, a period of time. Uh, I think the actual Jewish period was you're supposed to mourn for a year, but I could be wrong about that. When the time of mourning was over, David sent servants and had her brought to his house. She became his wife, then bore him a son. Uh, So obviously the time frame wasn't a complete year, maybe six months. Then the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So God was not happy with this. And then something happens in chapter 12. And so I want you to read it. Okay, I'll take this section. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, there were two men in a city, the one wealthy and the other poor. The wealthy man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing all except for one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nurtured or bought and nurtured. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat uh, scraps from him and drink from his cup and lie in his lap and was like a daughter to him. Now a visitor came to the wealthy man and he could not bring himself to take any animal from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. So he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this certainly deserves to die. 
So he must make restitution for the lamb four times over since he did this thing and had no compassion. So what do you, why do you think David was so angry? Well, he thinks it's not about him. He thinks it's about some poor little farmer that got his lamb stolen by some greedy rich person, right? But why would he get so mad about that? I mean, how many times do, you know, greedy rich people take advantage of other people? He's the king. He can't get involved in every little scrap, every little situation. Why do you think he was so angry? I don't know. Because he has a guilty conscience. Okay. See, that that's so you, the point you, of the story. So he knows... See, Nathan knows. Well, Nathan knows, but do you think David knows the stories about him at this point? No, or he, he not just, at all. He's just internally is feeling guilty, so he's outraged at this injustice that's exactly. not necessarily related to him. Yeah, see, it, that's it a sign of a guilty conscience. Okay. You get enraged over little things. You know, the old, who was it, uh, who said, Methinks thou dost protesteth too, too much. much. Yes. You know, when sometimes the thing people are railing against so much, they end up, what? Being guilty of. Yeah, yeah, having a guilty conscience about that. Okay. Uh, verse 7 continues. Nathan then said to David, You yourself are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. It is I who anointed you as king over Israel. It is I who rescued you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you to your master's house and put your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And it had been, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck and killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife as your wife, and you have slaughtered him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Yeah, that's... Uh... Nathan, I mean, that's bold. Nathan came in... He, that's king. a mic drop right yeah. there, baby. He's probably wondering, am I making it out of this alive? Yeah. I know I'm supposed to do this. God says he's got me, but he's probably going... David could turn on a dime and just like kill me right there, right? Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. That well, that's the risk when you're you're asked to speak for the Lord. You have to speak what the Lord tells you to say. You can't make it up your on your own. And I think I think it's really interesting. You know, he goes on then obviously, and he prophesies all these things are going to happen in his life. Mm. His house will be put to the sword. The the child will die. There's always going to be these problems. And of course, then the rest of Second Samuel, you'll see all of these problems. Right, they play and out. what's really fascinating is most of the problems in his house happen with his own kids. Mm. You know, so. But looking back on this situation in his life, David then writes this song. Okay, now remember he gets enraged over a little ewe lamb, right? But then he looks back. Why was I so enraged? Why? Why did I respond this way? Why did I? And he he analyzes that. Okay, and this is what he writes. First one of Psalm thirty-two. He goes, "How blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a person whose guilt." The Lord does not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality failed as with the dry heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found, certainly in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. 
For you are my hiding place. You keep me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will advise you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. The sorrows of the wicked are many, but the one who trusts in the Lord, goodness will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. I mean, I think the most important part of this song seems to be that confession right in the middle, right? Verse 5. Yeah. Read, uh, read that. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not hide my guilt. I said I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, kind of a, a, uh, another psalm about this situation in his life was uh, Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned. So it's really interesting. He wasn't going around trying to make amends to all the people. He, he said, my issue is with God. I did what, was, what God was believed to be, told me it is evil, and I did it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really fascinating that confession is the key you see that unleashed the forgiveness that resolved the guilt about this situation in his life. Now, what's interesting is it happened that he still suffered consequences from that. That baby was born and then it died. And then, uh, one of his sons, Absalom launches a A campaign. Yeah. A coup, a military, well, not a military, but he, he takes over the kingdom and what's interesting is Nathan says that your wives are going to be taken publicly from you. And so David had all these wives. And so Absalom goes to his wives publicly, you know, up out on the terrace there for all to see. And he has sex with all of them, mm. you know. And, I mean, what a incredible humiliation. And what's interesting is he asked Joab to carry the note for... Uriah the Hittite's death, right? And then when Absalom takes over his kingdom, what happens is a bunch of generals, Joab included, flee with David. Then David comes back, right? Because it doesn't take root and they go to hunt Absalom down. And David gives Joab a command. He says, I want you to take Absalom alive. And so when Joab finds Absalom, you know what he does? Kills him. He kills him. He doesn't take the command of David to spare his life. So isn't it interesting how unresolved guilt, you know, uh, comes from the situation. There's still consequences from the situation. But what David says is because he confessed, it's really interesting. How blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven and whose sin is covered? How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account and whose spirit there is no deceit? It's really interesting because when David fled with Joab because Absalom had taken over and had part of the military with him, is what happened is, uh, he was leaving and this person came out and hurled curses at him, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, you're such a terrible king and you're terrible, terrible. And so the people in his entourage said, let's so go over there and kill that guy. Early social media. Is yeah, it was early social media. And they're like, <laughs> we're going to go kill that guy, man. We're going to cancel him with the sword. And so, but David says no, right? He says no. It's interesting that 
you see, even though he's suffering the consequences of his wrongdoing, he's at peace with himself, right? Because what has happened is the Lord has taken away all the shame and guilt that surrounded that event. So he was able to act justly even in that moment. And what happens is, is that later on when he's returning, the first person that comes out to say, forgive me for cursing you is the person who hurled the curses. Right. And, and so what happens is, is that shows that it's not just that God takes away your guilt, but that he often heals the situations that are wrongdoing causes. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, maybe you can speak into this, there's a portion where he's talking about his body wasting away when he was kind of harboring that that guilt and the shame from the the event. Is that, do you feel like that was a physical wasting or just like Oh, absolutely. A, okay. A hundred percent. I think that, you know, research tells us this, is that people who have unresolved guilt, right, they carry, it, it turns into shame. Uh, sometimes it turns into bitterness or anger. And... I think what's really, really interesting is that the, the word vitality is, is an interesting Hebrew word. Uh, it talks, the, the issue of vitality is all about my, it's not my just passion for living. It's just my energy for everyday life. It's, you know, what gets you going. And so in a way, physically, it's about, well, I rest, I eat, I sleep. And so I get up and I go now when, uh, when unresolved guilt is in your life, what is one of the things that people in severe depression lose? Motivation to do anything. They, they lose Energy. their motivation to do anything. They lose their appetite. Mm -hmm. They stop eating. They stop drinking. They stop sleeping. These are all the things necessary for living, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting that a sickness of the soul can and can personify within you physically in such a powerful way. Psychosomatic is the yeah. is the term that psychologists use for that, which is basically when your body responds has an as a response because of a mental issue. Right. And so, so the issues all in your head, right? right. In this place it, that they can't even identify, but it has a massive impact. It plays out in your body, your in body. your body. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, when you stop sleeping and you stop eating and then you stop doing anything, what happens to your vitality? Away. Yeah. You waste away. So you, you will waste away, not just physically, you can waste away emotionally. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting about unresolved guilt is that people stop feeling the range of emotions and then the only emotion they have is what anger yeah that's the, the only time they feel alive is when they're enraged I, I think this is you know most people why why do uh when you you know, look at people road rage you know and you mm -hmm. think why do people have road rage well that's because they're really raging right about, about something else and it comes out when that guy cuts you off or you perceive that that guy cuts you off so that really takes takes the fruit. The other thing that I think is really important to understand about this wasting away, this vitali vitality of life, is that it not only kind of removes your emotional responses to life, it, 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 when you lose your vitality, it just flattens you out, right? Mm -hmm. It just flattens you so you don't feel sadness, you don't feel happiness, you just feel like you're dead. Yeah, you know, you're numb. Numb, yeah. yeah, you're numbed. And so you lose your vitality. And so he says, the other thing that I think is really critically important about the body wasting away is not just the psychosomatic thing and not just a, an emotional thing, but mentally, you know, you're not as mentally sharp. 
You don't right. think clearly. You don't make as good as decisions. Yeah, your judgment's skewed, right? Your like, judgment is completely skewed. We even skewed. see this in David's response in Second Samuel where he's like, he instantly just gets outraged over this right. thing that, like you said, he probably hears complaints like that all the freaking time as a king. And he hears a little, well, so-and-so did this to me. And he's probably like, eh, whatever, just figure it out, pay him some money. But the, he... He's livid over He's this living. <laughs> yeah. And it's a whole response. And a lot of that is his judgment and his mental yeah. discretion. His, right? Obviously, his judgment was skewed when he chose not to go to war with everybody else. So right. he changed, right, the, the I guess what I would say, your community expectation. Mm-hmm. He changed that. So maybe he's feeling guilty about that. You know, you know, I should be out there with the guys. I'm here. And the thing is, is that David was a phenomenal military strategist, right? He had come to power because he... Of his skill set, Of right? his skill set. And if nothing else, he's cheating his fellow countrymen of his skill set from that. Right. Well, and, and I, I mean, if we're going to dive even deeper, right. He gets up in the middle of the night to go walk around. You don't usually do that unless there's something weighing on you, right? Something weighing so on we, you. We see that guilt of him not being out on the field, maybe even playing out even before Bathsheba, right. Where yeah. he's like, he's up pacing and wandering the rooftop. Like, why is he up doing that in the middle of the night? Yeah. Unless he's dealing with some probably unresolved guilt. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, in our day and age, a lot of people like to to use this situation in David's life. Uh, he does take responsibility for it. He initiates it. But a lot of people today try to make it look like, you know, all men are dirt bags and stuff like that. But uh, when, you know, the other question is, is, well, why is Bathsheba bathing in the, you know, late at night? Well, and she also, I mean, I, I guess we don't know, but... We assume there was some sort of consent, right? Maybe. Well, well, I don't the, know. The, the it issue, could have been not because kings are have weird powers. Yeah, the, you know. Time. But yes. But the issue, the, but the issue though is you've been to Israel, right? You've yeah. been to Jerusalem, and you've been to the city of yes. David. How big is the city of David? It's big. <laughs> What's well, it's. It's oh, the city of David. Just this, you know, yeah, it, Jerusalem yeah. is Jerusalem's huge. Big, yeah. But city the of city of David. Yeah. How how long did it take you to walk from? Not the very, Temple Mount, all the way to the bottom of the city of David. Not very long. Not very long. It takes maybe 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Walking and stopping yeah. and looking at the sites, right? Right. And so, okay, she lives in the city of David. Right. Okay. And he li- he's in the city of David, and the, and the the palace was the highest thing there, right? Right. And then everybody else lived because it's on a little Below. hill, yeah, right? It's on a and slope. It, it's on a slope, and so it goes down, 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 down. And at the bottom is that pool of, uh, it's it's not the pool of, oh, I get my pools mixed up. It's not uh, Bethsaida, the pool of, it's the pool of Siloam, isn't it? It's the one that the, that the, uh, that the well comes up. The yes, 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 yes. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. So you go down there. And so somewhere in there, she is living there. So she knows that she's in full view of anybody Above, above, yeah, you know. So, I, you know, I think a lot of scholars believe that this is a, this was a, a little bit of a process of hypergamy, you know, kind of a thing, and that she was, you know, deliberately u- using her looks to get up the ladder, so to speak, mm. to climb the social ladder, and it 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 worked in in a way because he does take her as a wife, and it ends up 
not their firstborn, but their secondborn child is Solomon, who becomes the next king of Israel. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so you're exactly right, though, is that is that what we have is a situation here where it was, you know, it starts off where he's not going to war like he should. That's weighing on him. So now in the middle of the night, he's out there wandering around. She's out in the middle of the night, you know. And so I think that one thing that we do when we start to feel guilty about one thing is we look for distractions Mm -hmm. or other situations to distract us from the thing that we're guilty about. Guilty about, yeah. And so that's why a lot of us, you know, love entertainment. We love, you know, sporting events what we love things you know now it's it's great to be a fan it's great to enjoy these things but i think it's also important to ask yourself the simple question and that is is that uh do i feel alive when i'm not doing these things right am i just filling in a gap that i've made if you can't enjoy work and if you can't enjoy your family and if you can't enjoy taking care of your household meaning you know whatever it is you know chores around the house if you if you can't enjoy that as much as you enjoy going to a movie or a sporting event or something, then that's a good sign to ask yourself, hmm, am I trying to use things or entertainment or experiences to distract me from something that is unresolved in my life? And because what you want to do is you don't want to live life in a way that robs you of the fullness of it all. You want to be able to enjoy the fullness of every moment, right? You're having dinner with your family, you know, enjoy that. Don't, don't eat and be distracted and think of something else. You know, the biggest thing that distracts people today is their phones. You know, people spend more time looking on their phone at any given moment instead of looking up and enjoying the beautiful situation they find themselves in. Mm. It's called being in the moment. So how do you solve all this? How do you resolve all this? How do you get back on track? How do you say, oh, I do have unresolved guilt and I want to resolve it. And maybe it was really something, you know, at the level of what David did, or maybe it's something that's so minor. It doesn't matter the, the intensity of it. If you are experiencing unresolved guilt over that, it could have been happened last week or it could have happened 40 years ago. It doesn't matter. The issue is, is that if it's unresolved and the first step to resolving it, the first step to be, feel the blessing of the Lord, as David says, whose guilt has been resolved, who's been, the Lord remembers it no more and takes it away is by confession. Mm. It's not confessing to other people. It's confessing to God. And what that does is that opens your heart for the healing power of God in your life. I love it. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing with us. We dove deep into the scripture today, and um, it was a a nice little mix-up. I think that was fun, Uh, even with all of the preamble before Psalms, just revisiting that story, getting something new out of it each and every time you read the scriptures is always a nice blessing. So um, excited to talk more on Thursday about what unresolved guilt and how the process of confession starts our healing process. But until then, thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.